Welcome to Signs of Life, a podcast about life and literature and lots of other stuff. We're your hosts, Jen and Elisa. Welcome to episode 28. Today, we're catching up with returning guest, Elisa's sister, Emily. But first, shout out to Lindsay Stam for tagging us on Instagram. That's right. She tagged us in one of her stories a little while back and said that she was loving the Bits of Life episodes, the shorter episodes that we've been posting lately. And we love the Instagram love, and we love you, Lindsay. We know how much you love listening to us, so show us some love by ranking us on iTunes. So, Emily's out here visiting us from Wisconsin. Hi, Emily. Hello. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Emily was on our show about a year ago um, on our episode talking about INTPs. Because that's what I am, along with Jen's wonderful mother, who's also an INTP. Yes. And that was one of my favorite episodes that we've done, so it's fun. I'm biased, but it's fun to have (laughs) Emily back. And Emily... And this time, last time we didn't really talk about too much that was personal when you were on. So fill us in a little bit where where you're coming from and sure. who you are. Well, I live in Wisconsin with my husband and my two kids. And I've been there long enough that I feel like I'm starting to get a Wisconsin accent, even mm-hmm. when I said that. I'm from Wisconsin. Uh-huh. <laughs> my kids are six and four. I've got a girl and a boy. So I am home with them. Yeah. Although your daughter is in kindergarten now. Yes. Which means uh, you're having to time your trips out here around, around spring break. Breaks now. Yeah. <laughs> Can't stay for as long as two and three weeks like we did in past years. Yeah. We're stretching spring break out into a week and a half or so. Yeah. Is she missing a little school? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's in kindergarten. I think they it's won't get too mad at us. Mom. She's oh, a thanks. cool mom. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, Emily, have you read or watched anything interesting recently? I would love to say that I had been reading a lot of interesting things, but I have not. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even think of the most recent book that I read cover to cover. I honestly can't. Oh. I have started a couple of trying to do audiobooks, but I haven't even gotten very far in those. Now, you read plenty, though. It's just not books cover to cover, right? I mean, you've said you... I do pick you up like pieces. like reading articles. And I, yeah, I do like to read articles online um, and kids' books yes. <laughs> to my children. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you watched anything interesting? I could say Anna Van Gables. I just finished reading that to my daughter. Oh, that was, that wonderful. was wonderful. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A little bit ago. Not just, but a little while ago. Yeah. And that one's good. We had an interesting conversation about Anna Green Gables a while ago, Jen and I, about what personality type Anne is. Oh, I was wondering that as I read. I was thinking of the Enneagram also and trying to type her that way. Mm. What, did, what did you think? For Enneagram? Yeah. I had to think seven, although she does <laughs> love the melancholy, mm-hmm. but I think that that could still work. Yeah. As, what do you think her, her Myers-Briggs was? Um, well, I was thinking yours, Jen. ENFP. Yeah. There's a debate whether she's an ENFP or an INFP. Oh, interesting. Yes. Okay. My favorite story regarding that is that my oldest son read the book about a year ago when he was 12. And after the first few chapters, he said, no way is Anne an introvert. And then a couple, uh-huh. uh, like a week later, maybe, he was much further in the book. And I was out one evening, and he called me and left a message on my phone that just said, Anne is definitely an introvert. Oh, wow. <laughs> a couple of strong opinions. 
<laughs> so even my teenage son was weighing in on the debate. You've had a similar debate with yourself, haven't you, Jen? About what I am, yes. specifically? Yes, I have. But I do keep landing back on ENFPs, so... We're notorious for questioning our type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But mom gave that book to my daughter, and I read it to her, and she really enjoyed it. That's a good one. Jen, have you read anything interesting recently? I have a running list of books that I've been reading. <laughs> like, I think I have seven books that I'm in the middle of right now. <laughs> um, so How many of those will get finished eventually? I'm keeping a list. So, like, I do keep going back to the list, and I just pick one up, and I go through it. And I'm trying to not be a book glutton, because that's my thing. I am a book glutton. So, I'm trying to not just, like, devour things in one sitting or whatever. So, I'm trying to kind of space them out more. Um, I'm reading a bunch of, like... uh, spiritual living type books and motherhood books and stuff like that. I just um, finished on audio. I didn't realize I hadn't finished one of our book club books, actually. <laughs> it was the... the What am I thinking? Oh, I Capture the Castle. Oh, Emily um, was actually the one that recommended that. So good. I listened to that one and on audio, and it was amazing. So It was a good audio book? The person who narrates it was um, one of the nuns in Call the Midwife, and she's incredible. I don't know what it is. Her voice and the way she expresses Cassandra as a person, like, because it's written in the first person, it's, I don't know, it's it's incredible. It's incredible. It's really good, yeah. I loved reading that book. I was very pleasantly surprised by that one. Yeah. It was good. And I, I I was... Again, pleasantly surprised that the audio was actually good to listen to. Yeah. I have a harder time listening to fiction on audiobooks than nonfiction because I always worry whether or not the reader is going to do a good job capturing the character. So that's good to know. What about you? Well, the book I finished reading most recently I really loved, and it was On Writing by Stephen King, which I had in my list to read for a while. So it's his book talking about, like, the philosophies and mechanics behind good writing but he talks a lot about it's like semi-autobiographical too talking about his own journey to becoming a writer and why he writes the way that he writes and I really like his philosophy behind writing and I it was one of those books as somebody who enjoys writing myself it was one of those books that I felt like gave me permission to write in the ways that I am already sort of drawn towards Mm. not not in the sense I want to write horror like he does, but um, why not? <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it really inspired me to write. Like I, I felt more encouraged to write more after finishing that book than I have in a while. So I think anybody who's even remotely interested in writing should read that book. It's a pretty quick read and uh, really interesting and really encouraging. I liked it a lot. I would be super fascinated to, to read a horror story you had written, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it would be only very mildly scary, I think. <laughs> well, one of the things we want to talk about on the podcast today comes from an Instagram post that we had a little while back where we asked our listeners to contribute questions of their own for us to address on personality-related matters. Yes. And Emily... Uh, chimed in with a question 
that we thought was really, really interesting. So we thought since she's here, we'll talk about it a little. And so the question is very specifically, it has very specifically to do with Myers-Briggs personality type. So we thought it would Mm. be a good opportunity to real quick give a recap of the different components to Myers-Briggs personality. Yes? Yes. Do it. Okay, so... If you've taken the Myers-Briggs personality test, if you know your personality, it's made up of four letters, and each of those four letters represents what we call a dichotomy. Like, each, the first letter can be one of two things, the second can be one of two things, and so on. So the first dichotomy, we're going to be using that word a little bit, (laughs) is introversion versus extroversion, which has to do with where you draw your energy from. Do you draw your energy more from being in your own... Well, in, in solitude, yeah. are you getting energized by solitude or are you getting energized by time spent with other people? It's more complicated than that, but that's kind of the gist of it. Yeah. Jen, you want to take the second one? Uh, the second letters are either sensing or intuition and sensors are very, uh, how do we put this? Grounded. <laughs> Grounded in the real world. Um, they prefer to take in uh, information that they can um, analyze via their five senses. Mm-hmm. Um, intuitives also, it's not like they're blind or deaf, but um, they kind of take that information and then want to go beyond the information. They want to think of possibilities or what it could mean. Um, they're more out-of-the-box thinkers. Yeah. Yeah. Sensors want to know what things are. Intuitives want to know what things could be. Yes. Yes. Well, then third is thinking versus feeling, which we'll be discussing a little more in just a little bit here because Emily is a thinker and Jen and I are feelers. (sighs) But that one has to do with how we make decisions. And uh, thinkers are a little more detached emotionally from the situation. Their primary criteria is rational, like what makes the most sense in this situation. And for feelers, it's harder to detach uh, from their own emotions regarding it and from how the emotions of others who may be impacted yeah. by a decision. Yeah. And uh, so there's that. And yes. then the last letters are J and P, so judging um, or perceiving. Judgers prefer to uh, execute order on life. <laughs> um, and perceivers tend to take life as it comes. They seem a little bit more comfortable to do that. So like flexible, adaptable, and judges like to be more prepared and uh, like to plan Organized. ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so those are the four dichotomies. Those are the four categories for Myers-Briggs. And we think they're very good ones. And they've been around for a while. But the question that Emily posed on our Instagram post was if you could add a fifth dichotomy, what would it be? And we actually had a lot of fun trying to think about that. Because here's the thing with these. They are all what we would call morally neutral. It's not like it's better or worse to be an introvert or an extrovert or Mm. an intuitive or a sensor. Like, all of these things are morally neutral. Yeah. And so if we were to add a fifth one, it would have to be something where it's not like it's better to be one or better to be the other. And we'd have to be careful to not tie them too closely to things that already exist in those other letters. Like, for instance, those first three letters don't necessarily necessitate that your fourth letter is going to be a J or a P. Right. Although, Emily. Yeah. We found some interesting statistics on that. 
Well, we sort of made up our own statistics by looking at the percentages of each personality type and how um, frequently it appears like in the general population. Mm -hmm. And what we found was that there is a correlation actually between S and J. So if you are an S, a sensor, you're more likely to be a J, a Mm -hmm. judger. And there's a correlation between N and P. So if you're an N, an intuitive, you're more likely to be a P, a perceiver. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. By sometimes a considerable amount. Yeah. Really? So those two actually do seem to be kind of (sighs) connected. That's so interesting. Yeah, we thought yeah. it was interesting. Too. <laughs> so these things, the the different pieces of it may impact the others a little bit. But yeah. if we were to add a fifth category, we wouldn't want it to be something that's so closely tied to one of the others that it seems obvious that certain personality types would veer mm. one way or the other. So coming up with something that is both morally and, uh, you know, based on your other type, neutral is that was actually really really difficult but kind of fun to think about it was really hard (laughs) to try to think of ideas for this one yeah but we came up with some all right well i'll share one um emily and i were discussing a lot of these together so we have some overlap on ours or we were influenced by each other as we came up with these but um i said optimism versus pessimism (sighs) Because I've wondered about that if, you know, if certain personalities are more prone to one than the other. But my experience has been that I don't I don't think that's the case. I think you can have two, uh, one personality and have one person be an optimist and one person be a pessimist. So I think that could be a category yeah. of its own. Um, Emily, you were thinking along the same lines with that, but you called it sanguine versus melancholy. Yes. Because I like those words. I like those words, too. (laughs) (laughs) But pretty much I had the same thing in mind. Yeah. So there's one. Um, Do you want me to go next? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I came up with two. I did not discuss these with you guys, so I'm not sure what you'll think about them. But um, I was kind of borrowing... So the the first one... You're going to love me so much right now because I'm going to talk about functions. <laughs> Although I found a really cool website that kind of relabeled them that will hopefully be not quite as dorky or nerdy. Um, so I was thinking that there's a the website I was looking at that has like a free test. We can link to it. It's pretty cool. It's called um, Personality Hacker. They actually relabel things and help you to see like your personality in terms of a car, like who's driving who's in the passenger seat, mm. and then you have, like, your 10-year-old in the back and your 3-year-old in the back. And those represent the different functions. Yes, and how they interact with how you use them kind of a thing. Interesting. So um, for you, Elisa, your first, your driver, your driver is called memory, and in the passenger seat is harmony. So those are, like, mm. the top two. Okay. And I think that each personality leans more heavily into one or the other. So, like, if you were an ISFJ that leaned towards memory uh-huh. or that first function for you, you would be more, probably more withdrawn and more into things. Like, you would spend your time 
more into things that dealt with like like I think um, someone I think my grandfather was an ISFJ and he was really into genealogies and history and Uh collectibles and things like that Um, whereas I think my husband he's an ISTJ so he also has memory in his driver's seat but his second function is more of that like effectiveness right so he I think he's more he leans more towards that getting things done the right process he's very concerned about that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. So I think you would lean more towards one or the one or the other. So Emily, you would be either accuracy or exploration, like which one you would lean more into. So is that for like you would have to take each type and then come up with yes. a fifth dichotomy for each type? Kind of. Yeah, like would they be leaning more towards their first function or their second function? Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So my first function, they've labeled it as exploration, and the second one is authenticity. So I think I actually lean more towards authenticity. So that's the first one I came up with. All right, um, what's one of yours? Okay. Um, So, well, and the reason that I loved doing this was thinking about people who test as the same type and then trying to think of what... How, if they sometimes don't seem like each other, what the difference is. Yeah. That was, so that was a fun way to explore it. Because so, many times people of the same personality type do seem very similar, but sometimes yeah. there are distinct differences. And so, yeah, figuring yeah. out why two people of the same personality mm. may have right. those distinct differences. And combining Myers-Briggs with other personality types. So saying, like, I'm an INTP and a five on the Enneagram, and I can talk to another INTP yeah. who might be a different number, and it's uh, that explains a lot, but sometimes I might be the same Myers-Briggs and the same Enneagram number, so it would be another way to differentiate us. Yeah. Um, so the one that, uh, the first one I came up with is creative versus constructive. And coming up with words for these was part of the challenge. It was so hard coming up with one Good word yeah, to, for yeah. the dichotomy. So creative would be um, the less practical form of creativity. We all create, but is it more towards just um, beauty or fun or or expression, or is it more constructive? And constructive would be more practical. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm kind of dropping the ball on this one because I thought of one but didn't actually come up with great words for it, but I was thinking about people's energy levels and how that's not necessarily based on their personality but some people are very very high energy and some people seem to have low energy and the closest we got was just calling it high and low which (laughs) I don't know if that sounds scientific enough but Rashida you said you like high and low yes yes why is that no I think it's just because it's so simple where everything else seems so like confusing almost but then I'm like oh I get it high energy low energy yeah and where I'm at yeah yeah. It's kind of more layman's terms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So high energy, low energy. That's another one. I do like that one a lot. I like that one. Um, I came up. So my other one that I came up with was um, it borrowed from the Enneagram, mm-hmm. actually, because I was also thinking about differences in personality. So like if you read the description of an ENFP, there and there, there are quite a few out there that you can read through or, uh, on any of the types. You'll read through and you'll be like, well, that one describes me, but that, not that one as much. You know, you read through mm-hmm. them and they all have their different takes on what that would look like. Um, so within the Enneagram, there are variants 
and there are wings. And um, the wings are kind of like if you lean towards one number on either side of you more than another. And the variants are have to do with like if you're, I think it's like if you're self-focused, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, self-focused, one-on-one or um, social. Mm-hmm. And so how that can express your number differently also. And so I was thinking it'd be cool. I, I actually did not come up with an actual way to define it all, but I was thinking it'd be nice to have like, you know, where you rank in how you, in those variants and having like wings. You kind of almost mentioned to Emily with like, if you were to say you had a subtype or a, you know, that would add that flavor yes. to your, to your four letters. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which would be cool. We talked about the Enneagram subtypes as well. Yep. Yeah. And how fun it is to compare people so you can be the same number, but look different uh-huh. Yeah, based uh-huh. on those. Yeah. Well, when I was saying how I was also frustrated with, I was saying this before we started, that the four letters, the Myers-Briggs four letters are not supposed to change. Like, they're supposed to be who you are for your whole life. So then coming up with the fifth dichotomy was challenging because I was trying to figure out, well, would this be something else about you that wouldn't change? That's wired in. Yes. Because if you go to 16 personalities, they tell you they have the fifth dichotomy on there and it's either you're a secure person or you're not and how that can change. So that made me feel like I could come up with something like with the Enneagram, your variance and your wing can change. So that was that it can be more fluid, something that's more fluid. Yeah. So do you feel like the things that you guys came up with were more of those fluid things? And do you truly feel like they are morally neutral? The things that you came up with? I was trying very hard. This is me, Elisa. I was trying very hard to stick with the same, like, I want them to be things that are naturally wired into us and things that are morally neutral. But I feel like the things you've all said are things that could potentially change Change. based on... Although Myers-Briggs seems to change. I mean, I would say, okay, well, what are the, like, influences that are making you feel differently right now? And so I think it's possible. Now, Emily and I agreed by the end of this exercise that really the four letters are all you need. Yeah, Myers-Briggs isn't calling out for a for fifth more. dichotomy. No. It works really well the way that it yeah. is with the 16 types. It's fun to think of what we could add, but it doesn't need something else. But Yeah, and I wanted it to fit the fifth dichotomy that we came up with to fit in really well with Myers-Briggs because I think Myers-Briggs is so logical and it's based on observation of the way people are, like mm-hmm. just the human condition. So I tried to to make it fit with that as though the original people who came up with Myers-Briggs had had themselves Decided. added a fifth yeah. one. Yeah, and this is yeah. also true of humanity. They also fall into this dichotomy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is hard to it do. It's so hard. <laughs> Because, you I mean, I it was. It's, like, so all-encompassing. So the other ones just... It's almost like they had to be variable because of yeah, the nature the of it. the four covers. So yeah. And yeah. I love the Enneagram subtypes, but I I couldn't think of how to divide those into just two. There's three. Yeah. <laughs> so. I know, yeah. I couldn't figure it out either. I couldn't, so... Well, Emily, what was one another one of yours? Okay, my next one... Um, I think you had a dif- different words for this one. This, um, my words were administrate versus mitigate. Oh no, yeah, that was that was good. You. So what is that? That's um, when when life happens to you. Mm. Um, you're. 
response and whether you want to um, uh, have some control over the situation and go in and fix it or prepare for it ahead of time, do something to have some control versus um, to, to just maybe have like conflict avoidance or to wait for the problem to go away or to be like a more of a like to pacify mm. the tension smooth things over mm. interesting yeah. well and the one I had was similar to that it was proactive versus reactive and what you just described was a little more of a like response when a problem arises and how you respond to that yeah and for proactive versus reactive I was thinking more of a like are you taking life by the horns or are you responding to things as they happen so a proactive person is going out there and taking care of things whereas a reactive person is not necessarily reactionary in the negative sense of like acting stressed out so much as like okay now this thing has happened what should I do with it or now this opportunity is here how should I make the most of it and so it's it's similar I feel like those two were very similar uh but a slightly different mm -hmm. take on that and then um you had I think two more uh, I have three more. I had five total. My next one is receptive versus elective. Does that make any sense at all? <laughs> yep, done. Let's <laughs> move on. <laughs> <laughs> that has to do with um, your response to stimuli. And um, specifically, I was thinking of people who are highly sensitive to stimuli, mm -hmm. so they absorb a lot that comes from their environment versus people who are more selective with, with what they take in. Um, which can um, be whether it's information and facts or, um, like, if you're an intuitive, it might be more like what people are feeling, mm -hmm, that type yeah. of thing. But so people who are absorb a lot are the receptive ones, and then people who can focus more on, on a few things are the elective mm -hmm. ones. Keep going. Uh, next was, oh, I already mentioned, I think, melancholy versus sanguine. Yeah, because that was tied to optimism versus pessimism. Okay. So then my last one is static versus turbulent, and that has to do with your emotions, which we think of emotions when we talk about thinking versus feeling, but... Um, but then if you know what the thinking versus feeling means, you know that thinkers can be emotional and feelers yeah. are... May suppress emotions. Yeah, may suppress... Yeah, exactly. So that one has to do with your like emotional reactivity and um, static like versus one. turbulent. I think that might be my favorite, actually. Oh. <laughs> so all of that was really fun for us to think about and discuss, but it was more in the abstract and theoretical theoretical realm and we want to talk about some practical things related to personality too yeah and since emily is here and she is a thinker and jen and i are both feelers we always think that's yes. a fun topic to come back around to especially since it's kind of a misunderstood topic yes and to lead off the conversation emily is like the queen of analogies Thank you. Did you know this, Jen? I did actually know this about Emily. I don't know if our <laughs> listeners know this, but Emily is like super good at analogies. And so she has a thinking versus feeling analogy. Okay, it's from the movie Storks. <gasps> oh. Have you which, seen Storks, Jen? Oh, yeah. Well, yes. I have small children. <laughs> I've seen it like 50 times. Elisa <laughs> introduced it to me, was it a couple years ago now? Yeah, I, might have, I think it was just last year. Okay. 
It's It's one of my very favorite kid movies. Yeah, it's an animated kids movie. And it's based on the idea that storks deliver babies. And in the movie, um, there's a stork and a human girl who are on a mission to deliver a baby together. And they have adventures along the way. And in one scene, um, they are, they're being chased. And they've said in the movie um, that birds can't see glass. Which is funny the way they say it in the movie because we've all seen like a bird fly into a window pane and that idea that glass is hard to see. But in the movie, they state it as though it's just a scientific fact that birds can't see glass. So the way they say it is already funny in the movie. But they end up at a glass factory. (laughs) And so the human girl is um, there's all these panes of glass that are set up throughout the glass factory and they're they're trying to run through and the human girl is darting around these sheets of glass and the stork hangs back and he's watching her and he's like, why is she running so weird? <laughs> and she turns around and looks back and sees him standing there and she goes, oh, birds can't see glass! <laughs> so then she's trying to um, shout out instructions, yeah. directions to him. So he can navigate these invisible panes of glass. And so she's shouting, right, left. But then he's being chased and she panics and he ends up like running into every single pane of glass and he gets to the end finally. So <laughs> um, so the, the analogy is that the, um, the glass represents feelings and um, feelers are um, like the human girl and they have this extra ability, this extra uh, vision where they can see um, the feelings that that they have and that other people have. And then the stork represents thinkers and the stork can only see the landscape, what's ahead and where he needs to go. So to the stork or the thinker, Um, I, as a thinker, we might um, look around, analyze what needs to happen and see where we need to go and be focused on where we need to go and not pay attention to the sheets of glass because we don't even that's not something that we see or pay attention to. Even though I, as a thinker, I have feelings and I know that I have feelings and I know that other people have feelings and I know what it's like when the glass breaks and when feelings get broken and it's not fun. But still, when I'm analyzing, all I see is what's ahead of me and where I need to go. Mm. And then the feeler can see the glass and so might, might suggest a roundabout path that you can take to get there. The problem with that is that sometimes feelers might um, focus too much on the glass or might get trapped behind too much glass. And if they're too afraid of breaking it, they might get stuck. And the thinker can say, it's okay to break some glass or Mm. might say, we're going to need to break some glass at this point. So they can help each other. The feeler can say, we need to navigate this way. And the thinker can say, yes, let's do that. Or sometimes the thinker might say, we're going to need to break some glass here. Mm, I like that. Isn't that good? Yes. (laughs) I do like that a lot. (laughs) I think that's so good. I think it's good for two reasons. One is that as a feeler, it's very affirming to hear you say that it's like feelers have an extra level of being like, or or an extra ability to see something. Because I think as feelers, sometimes when we hear this discussed, it feels like we're lacking something. Like thinkers possess the ability to do something that we're not able to do to make to separate themselves from 
the emotions of a situation and the way you worded it mm-hmm. felt very affirming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. Um, but I also like what you were saying about how it it's it's about working together mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and how thinkers need feelers and feelers need thinkers um, to help each other see differently and to know mm-hmm. where to go and what needs to be done mm-hmm. in a given situation. Mm-hmm. So I, I love mm-hmm. I love that analogy. And I think it's a great way to aid in communicate, like respectful communication yeah. between the thinker and the feeler also when they both have a mutual respect and an understanding of each other's gifts, which I think can get lost. Um, I was reading a couple things about thinkers and feelers today. We had a question actually on uh, the same post that you posted your um, idea for us to talk about. Um, Another good friend and former guest of ours, Hitomi, um, chimed in with a question of her own about um, communication between Mm -hmm. thinkers and feelers. And um, I think that's such a great setup for mm-hmm. creating a bridge of understanding between the two. Mm-hmm. The article I read was actually in like psychology today or something like that earlier today. And it was talking about how really the thinking feeling dichotomy is the source. And you said this before too, Lisa, that it's the source of the most miscommunication, mm-hmm. especially in marriage relationships. It's, it's a huge area of miscommunication. And a lot of it is just because there really is, I thought you could kind of like meet in the middle and, and really understand like, where the other person was coming from, but the way that the article was saying was like, unless there's a lot of like understanding communication happening between the two, like it's really hard to bridge that gap. Like, yeah. um, I'm saying that feelers, when there's a conflict, um, they value harmony. All feelers, it's like their thing is harmony ultimately. And so if a conflict starts, they immediately, a lot of feelers will, will immediately start apologizing for the conflict because it's created like a problem disharmony yeah so they apologize because they feel guilty and Mm -hmm. all that stuff whereas the thinker hears that and it's like why Mm -hmm. are you that doesn't make any sense at all and so and even my husband and i talked about it this afternoon because i i i apologize way too much and uh he's saying it is frustrating because it's almost like i'm a cop out like Mm -hmm. i'm not willing to deal with the issues Mm -hmm. at hand because i just want to like create peace Mm -hmm. So, do you feel that way as a thinker? Yes. I think I've heard you, Jen, talk about growing up in the family of thinkers that, um, that the, when they would argue that they would be experiencing emotions even in the midst of the argument, but ignoring them, just treating them as distractions. Yeah. You were, I'm thinking of someone else, but that's, that's how... I feel that even if I am feeling emotional in the height of a, of a disagreement, that I am suppressing it or I'm just, I'll deal with it afterwards. Like, mm. we don't need to talk about the emotion right now. We need to keep talking about the issue. Because you want to get to the end of it. Yeah. Because yeah. I want to, yeah, I want to resolve the issue. I want to deal with the yeah. issue. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I'd rather the issue be over. <laughs> well, and that's the key. It's like if the feeler can, can, explain to the thinker the legitimacy of the emotion that's happening or why it's relevant to the situation almost because I think that's like where it's like the thinker is seeing that this feeler has like this emotional reaction and it doesn't make sense it's like why are you getting emotional about this or why are you and and if you try to I don't know it gets really muddy you can I mean mm-hmm. even, as, even as I'm talking about it like mm-hmm. you can hear, hear how the conflict can get really 
confusing because of the totally different thought processes that are happening in whatever is being discussed or argued about even or whatever. So like just the, I don't know. And so, so do we have tips for people after all that? Like, do we have tips for communicating between the two? Well, one thing thing I love about the analogy Emily just gave from Storks uh, is, so thanks to this children's movie, I feel like it could create a good common vocabulary. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe this one, maybe not everybody resonates with this, but I feel like it could create a good common vocabulary to say, like, there's some glass that I need you to navigate around right now. Or to say, as a thinker, there's some glass that I'm going to need a breakthrough right now. Mm -hmm. Rather than saying what... I mean, if you know Myers-Briggs terminology, terminology, instead of saying, why are you being such a thinker? Or why are you being such a feeler? Or if you don't know that, saying, why are you being so emotional? Or why are you being so cold-hearted? I mean, those yeah. are, like, accusations. Whereas if you have mm-hmm. a way mm-hmm. to sort of, like, describe what those emotions are looking like and what needs to happen, I, I think having analogies like that and a way of talking about things that's sort of outside of your identity or making it an accusation can be really useful. Yeah. And you may still argue about it. You may say, no, you don't need to break that class right now, but at least it gives you a way of talking about it. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you can say, I can tell that I am breaking some glass, but this is worth it. Like, go with me here. And I'm going to help you repair the glass after. <laughs> we'll pick something. it up. Yeah, we'll, we'll pick, pick it up pieces. together. Yeah. <laughs> I do love that. Well, the idea of glass and... It break. I mean, glass breaking is dangerous and painful, mm-hmm. and messy. Yeah, and glass is a valuable material as well. So, like, it's to, nice to avoid it if we can. Yes, but yes. sometimes the destination is worth broken yeah. glass. Yeah, yeah. So, for what about people who don't understand, like all the thinker feeler stuff, and are trying to resolve a conflict? Like, how would a feeler legitimize their emotions to a thinker? Do we have ideas for that? Well, and Hitomi's question was saying, how does a thinker want a feeler to talk to them and vice versa? Yeah. Like, does a thinker want the feeler to just be direct and yeah drop the feeling language i think was sort of what she was getting at mm. and then vice versa yeah. and do you have insights into that or not I, really <laughs> i don't it's hard because i do really like you feelers and how <laughs> like nice you are oh, thanks but i also um don't like how much time it takes to be too careful of my feelings mm-hmm. so i do like just, yeah. you know, cut to the chase. Well, so. I was saying even in simple matters, like texting, knowing personality and knowing if it's a thinker that I'm communicating with, it comes as kind of a relief to me that I can just send my question without the like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> emoji, emoji, emoji. Right. Here's my question. <laughs> Smiley face. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a lot of like buffer language that I think we feel like we need when we're communicating with feelers or when we're communicating as feelers. But even for me as a feeler, it's kind of a relief if I know I'm talking to a thinker to be like, okay, I don't have to waste time on that. I can get straight to the point and I'm not going to hurt yeah. their feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I do think that thinkers appreciate the yeah, buffer yeah. sometimes. Like, because if, I mean, not to, the, like, if my husband gets an email or something and it's from someone who tends to be kind of grumpy, he reads into that. Like, whereas if it's someone who's normally enthusiastic, he'll 
you know, he'll pick up on that too. So even as a thinker for him, he picks up on those relational things as well. And he appreciates the, the care that's transmitted as well. The buffer can be really nice. Yeah. But if you get used to a person who usually communicates that way, then when they drop it, all of a sudden, that's true. (laughs) You can read into that more. Yeah, that's true. What about feelers? When thinkers talk to feelers, what are some pointers? Oh, man. I mean, I've, I've grown to appreciate the thinker's style of communication a yeah. lot. You know, the, the like you were saying, Lisa, there's a lot of comfort and relief in not having to... Be careful. Yeah. <laughs> or not be overly careful. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, and I may have said this before, I, I think feelers have sort of a natural way of communicating affirmation that is maybe not second nature for thinkers and so sometimes mm. if a thinker is trying too hard to to use the buffer language it feels patronizing <laughs> yeah and so and so that's that's tricky like i don't know that there's a formula of like that idea of the good news bad news good news business i mean that i feel like people can kind of see through that yeah um and yet there is an element of caring for the person you're talk to, talking to and not just the idea that you're talking about. Yeah. And so body language and things like that that just show yeah. care for the person. My, my daughter, who I think I'm pretty sure she's a thinker, my six-year-old, and then my son, I'm pretty sure he's a feeler. They were having an interaction in the car. He was making up some song, and she said, I don't like your song. And he got so butthurt about the fact that she did not like this song. And so I had to tell her, or I had to tell him, I was like, it's not that she doesn't like you. Uh It's that she doesn't like a part of your song. It's not even the whole song. It's just a part. So even though it feels like a criticism of your whole person, (laughs) it's not. (laughs) Like, she's just saying, there's one thing, one thing right here that I don't like. I'm not a fan. Mm -hmm. And she loves you still. So, like, just kind of communicating that to him. Because I think we do certainly take criticism as like you don't like me mm-hmm. yeah what so even as a thinker if you can somehow somehow manage in a non-patronizing way to communicate i still value you and respect you as a person and yet <laughs> there's this one thing that i just have some feedback for you feedback is such a nice word for <laughs> such a nice word <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah good. yeah yeah I uh, I think this one is hard. It's why the article said so much miscommunication comes because yeah. even if you understand it a lot, it's it is it represents such a fundamental difference. In, yeah, in communication, that it idea does. of am I criticizing the person or am I criticizing the idea? Is the idea separate from the person or is the idea a part of who the person is? Yes, um, and we can get better at that, but it doesn't. We never become the other type. We never right. stop being the way that we are and thinking the way that we do. So Yeah, so true. Just got to keep working on it. Well, this brings us to the drinks and winks portion of the show. The return of drinks and winks. We don't really do them for our bits. We don't do them on our bits, so it's been a little while. Jen, do you have a drink or a wink or both? Um, I have, well, I for sure have a wink. Um, it's a hippie wink. 
<laughs> because you love me. Um, I actually am going to recommend Colloidal Silver. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Um, but I have a legit story. Of course, it's purely my own personal experience. So take it or leave it. I've heard a, I've heard other people. I don't understand. rave about it. Yeah, I don't understand it though. So tell us. Explain I didn't it. actually. So okay, to be super honest, I didn't really understand it either. But I bought it thinking a lot of other hippie people own this, and I probably should too. And maybe someday it will serve me. So I started. My son got the stomach flu. And he was the only one who had it, and I had quarantined him, and thankfully nobody else got it. But two or three days later, I felt it coming. I felt it coming. Like, I started to feel shaky, and it was, like, it was horrible. And so I was, like, panicking and feeling like there must be something I have in the house that would, like, sort of help maybe at least make me feel like I was doing something. And then I remembered, oh, I've got colloidal silver. I should just give this a try right now because why not? Why not? Right? That's how I think. Why not? (laughs) So I totally took it. I took like seven doses. And I tell you, by the third one, it was like completely gone. So I'm just saying. But how it's liquid. Yeah. How do you take it? Like, okay, so a dose is like a teaspoon it's like taking advil or something but it's silver but it's it's nano i'm gonna i'm gonna totally butcher this nanoparticles of silver suspended in water oh yeah it could be (laughs) all i know rashida is skeptical all i know is that I heard it would work and it did work. So I'm just going to say, if you are looking for something weird to try, <laughs> I have been looking for something to try <laughs> and give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wait, wait, where do you get this? Um, uh, you know, usually like any like black, natural black grocer. Oh, yep. Okay. Yep. The South no. Road. <laughs> no, um, no, like whole, whole foods or sprouts or Amazon has it too. And yeah. all right. Yeah. Cool. I'm not that weird. I mean, no, I'm a little Jen. bit weird. No, you're not. I'm a little bit weird. But. I think why not should be the ENFP motto. <laughs> I, it is very ENFP of me. <laughs> Why not? I might die, but why not? <laughs> well, Emily, do I have any winks? colloidal silver to or talk drinks? about? Was not mine. Colloidal gold. <laughs> colloidal. I've never heard of brass. <laughs> Sounds cool. It is. It is. Can I have two winks? Yeah. Okay, because I really want my wink to be Planet Earth 2. We're watching that. I love it. My kids and I have watched it each episode over and over. It's on Netflix. So much so, it's on Netflix. My kids can quote along with the narration. It's narrated Mm -hmm. by David Attenborough, who's British, and his narration is fantastic. And the footage is amazing, and the stories that it tells about these animals are riveting. (laughs) They're good. And then my other wink is my notebook that comes with a zipper pouch attached in the um, notebook cover. So you can put your pens in there and have it all together. Yeah, it's a, it's a regular paper notebook, but it's got a cloth cover on it. 
one. Yeah, which is and super part cool. of it has a zipper that you slip some pens into. I feel like we need to take a picture of that, it just, just makes so people sense. can see how Ooh, cool it is. Yes, because when you describe it, it's like, eh. But then if we showed the picture, <laughs> I'm just being honest. Yeah. But if you take a picture and show it, but you don't people, have to bring a pen. It's great. Yeah, they're right there. Super cool. It doesn't fit on the bookshelf very well. That's that okay. doesn't bother me. No, that's okay. It's cool. It's like the thing, you, it's something you want to leave out on the table yeah. because it looks so yeah. cool. Yeah, because it's, it's my notebook that I use all the time. Yeah. That's a good one. It is a That's good a good one. That's a good one. Thanks. What about you, Elisa? All right. Well, neither of you mentioned it, so I shall. Our drink tonight <laughs> is called a Basil Hayden's. And we it's ha- called a Juicy Basil. Sorry, it's made with Basil Hayden's. It's called a Juicy Basil. It doesn't actually have basil in it. It has not the herb, right? Not the bur- not basil. It has <laughs> basil Hayden's burden in it. But we have it courtesy of Emily's husband, who mixed these up for us and made them and brought them over, and we've been enjoying them all evening long. So mm-hmm. thank you. Yes, thank you. They're really good. Emily, tell us what's in them. Not amounts, but just. Uh, I haven't myself made them, but he has made them for me and you. Also, Elisa, quite a few times. They're really good. (laughs) Yeah. So I think the ingredients are orange juice, cranberry juice, cranberry bitters, basil, Hayden's, um, simple syrup, and simple simple syrup. syrup. Yeah. Yep. And ice. Yeah. Really really yummy and refreshing. And I don't even like. Is it whiskey or bourbon that's in it? He said bourbon whiskey. Oh, so like the same anyways i don't normally like that <laughs> but it's really really yeah. it's a good drink yeah it is so that that was fun um and my week well it was going to be on writing by stephen king which i mentioned earlier instead but it's still my wink and my other wink is <laughs> the smell of orange trees in blossom <laughs> For sure. <laughs> we, were, we were walking outside, and I said, that has to be my wink on this episode, because the smell is so intoxicating and wonderful. It is. And so, it is go- something that we truly look forward to uh-huh. um, when we come to Arizona in March, coming from Wisconsin. The oh, yeah. smell of orange blossoms is always on the list of things we look forward to. And even living here. Like, I look forward to it every year. My first whiff of orange blossom in the springtime is... One of my favorite things in the world. I hope heaven smells mostly of orange blossoms. So Mm. go outside and enjoy spring and drink it in if you're able. Yeah. Well, Emily, thank you for coming on our podcast a second time. Yeah, thank you. And listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode. And we'd love to hear any feedback from you on what we talked about. Yeah, feedback, not criticism. Feedback, not criticism. (laughs) (laughs) With lots of buffer language, please. Thank you. And emojis, yes. (laughs) Emojis. All right, bye for now. Bye for now. This episode is brought to you by Show It. Are you stuck in a boring website template? Experience true creative freedom with the drag-and-drop simplicity of a Show It website. Get started for free at showit.co.